this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. and teachers and prophets. And one of those gifts is the gift of the evangelist. The evangelist has a special anointing to spread the gospel, to preach with passion. And so that's why we've created these weekends. I hope that you can catch passion and inspiration that comes from the gift of the evangelist. Our guest speaker today is an evangelist by trade. He also leads a ministry called Lead the Generation, and he's passionate about spreading the gospel, handing off, as he preached last night, the the message of the gospel to the next generation. And so, will you join me in welcoming Aaron Holt? Good morning, good morning, good morning. How you doing? Everybody say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Yeah. Look at your neighbor real quick. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you look good this morning. Mmm, yes, you do. All right, look at your other neighbor. Look at your other. Say, other neighbor. You've got work to do. <laughs> I had to change it up if you were here last night. You know, I had to change it up. But, oh, man, FV Church. I had to be with you on Epic Weekend and uh, join you once again. was here uh, last year for an Epic Weekend, and uh, this is just great. And uh, one day, I promise my wife will make it along with me, but it is hard. She's a school teacher, and so it's the, it's the beginning of the school year, as you know, and so she's busy there uh, teaching second grade. And uh, our family of five, we are originally from Pittsburgh, so go, go Steelers, but I know it looks like it's going to be a rough year for us. But, uh, um, and, uh, but we live uh, currently in the Poconos, Pennsylvania, family of five, uh, three kids. My son is 20, and then I have two teenage daughters, 17 and 14. Jesus, take the wheel. Um, and, uh, yeah, that means that my 17 just recently got a license, right? So some of you parents know exactly all about this. So, uh, but that's us, that, uh, a little bit about us. And as Pastor Candace mentioned, um, uh, my wife and I direct a nonprofit ministry called Lead the Generation. If you want to check out more of what we do, go to our website, leadthegeneration.com, see kind of what we're all about. But we are passionate about equipping adults and equipping youth pastors to effectively pass their faith on to the next generation. Do you believe in the next generation? Yeah. I know you do, because I know your church, and I know your pastors here at the church. And, uh, and if, if we ever become a church that doesn't believe in the next generation, we've got problems, right? Because uh, the extinction of Christianity is only ever one generation away. And um, so we're passionate about training and raising up leaders that are going to pass faith on and leadership to the next generation. We do a lot of that uh, through coaching and through training. Um, and uh, it's just kind of the, the, the passion of our heart. You, you probably don't know this because of the church that you're in. But across our nation, uh, about 80% of the churches in our nation do not have a youth pastor or a full-time youth pastor at their church. About 50% of churches across our nation don't have any kind of youth ministry happening on a weekly basis. And so a lot of what we do is, is train and resource and equip those churches and those youth pastors 
to help them be effective in passing on their faith. In fact, we have a brand new coaching group that's starting in, in the next month. And um, I have two youth pastors right now that are trying to join our group and are in desperate need of funding and a scholarship in order to do that. Maybe God would put that on your heart uh, to help them and just make an investment in their life. And really what you're doing is making an investment in the next generation. And feel free to come to our table after the service. There's a table out here. We got all kinds of stuff out there. There's a bunch of books out there. There's a book I wrote on Psalm 23. There's some parenting books out there if you're a parent of a teenager. Uh, and then there's some fun stuff too, some bracelets and hats and t-shirts. And all of that goes to support our ministry and really invest into uh, the next generation. So that's a little bit about what we do. And But I'm just glad to be here with you. I'm glad to be here with you. It's going to be good. Um, so a couple, a couple not not too long ago, and, and you know some, some of you that you were here last night or, or you remember me from last year. So uh, I'm a dog lover. I'm a dog. Any dog lovers? You got dog lovers? Dog lo- okay, good. So... I'm not going to make fun of your little dogs this morning. I'm not going to make fun of you cat lovers in the room. I understand some of you weird people. I mean, some of you people are there. Um, and, uh, but anyways, uh, not long ago, one of my dogs ran away. One of my dogs ran away. And, and, and like, if you're a dog lover or, or you just like pets in general, like, this is, a, this is like a bad deal. This is, I mean, this is like, this will just bring panic and fear and anxiety to your heart. And so, so what, this is what happened. So I, I, I have two dogs. And, um, and, and so I took them for a car ride because they like to ride around in the car, and I just thought it would be fun. And so we're jumping in the car. We ride around. We get back to the house, and, and my one dog, the younger one, he's riding shotgun. And my older dog, the, the, oh, the 10-year-old golden tree, he's in the back, you know. And so we, we get home, and we pull into the driveway. And, and as soon as I get out, the younger dog, the, the short-haired pointer, he's my hunting dog, right, for all, all your hunters in the room. I go pheasant hunting with him. He finds the birds, and I miss them because I'm terrible. Um, he gives me dirty looks and everything. It's great. He's like, I just did all that work, really. Uh, talk about a bad deal. Like, your, your, your accuracy is a bad deal. Uh, so anyways, I, I get out of the truck, and he goes running across, and he just jumps right out, and he runs out into the backyard, which really isn't a, a big deal because we got you know, a little bit of land and, and uh, some trees back there and everything. And, and the other dog, he's waiting for me to pop the trunk, you know, the SUV, so, I, so he can get out because that's how he gets out. So I do that, and so me and the old dog, we go walking in the front, and of the house, and, and I go back of the house to call for my other dog. His name is Nakoda, right? And I call for him, and he's gone. I mean, he's just gone. Like, I, he's not in the yard. I don't see him in the woods. I don't know where he's at. And initially, I'm not, I'm not too concerned because he, he's, he wears one of those e-collars. You know, you know an e-collar is one of those electric collars? Okay. So I'm, I grab the remote for it, and I, I just I beep it, you know, just making a little noise. Beep and I'm calling. He doesn't come. And then I, I'm getting a little frustrated. Another five or ten minutes has gone by. So it has a vibrate mode. So I flip it into vibrate mode. It just kind of vibrates the collar gently and everything. And I'm, I'm vibrating everything. He's not coming. Now I'm getting frustrated because this is what I'm thinking. I'm, I, you know, like, I don't know if you're you probably think this way. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I feed you. I bathe you. I cuddle with you in the morning. We do devotions. We have, like, little Jesus time in the morning. My dogs are Christian dogs. Thank you very much. Right? Um, <laughs> And, and like, and like I, 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 like, I pet you, I, I, I brush your hair, I clip your nails, which is a whole nightmare experience in and of itself, right? I take you, I mean, I do all of this for you, and this is how you treat me. You just run away. And so I'm, I'm getting frustrated. And so I flip the switch into the, like, juice mode, if you know what I mean, like the, the electric shock mode. Sorry for all you pet lovers, but I'm frustrated because I'm thinking I'm going to find this dog. And I've been looking, I've been walking through the woods, my, my son is driving the car around the neighborhood, I mean, I, an hour goes by, I'm mad, I'm mad, I mean, I start dialing this thing up, because it's got like a one mile range on it, right, and I'm just thinking, this is a bad deal, like, I have spent 
way too much money on this dog for him to just run away because he smelled something or he saw something or whatever. And so I, 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 about an hour goes by, and, I, and I'm, I'm done. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I, can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe the dog ran away. I can't believe it. I'm, and I pull my phone out, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm typing a text to my wife who's at school teaching, right? And I'm, getting, I'm trying to explain to her in this text message, like, I don't know what happened. you got to get home right after school. we got to find it. We know da-da-da-da-da. I'm texting her that the dog ran away, which, by the way, for my wife would be the best text she's ever gotten in her life. Like, I mean, for her, it would just be like, God has answered my prayer. Like, for me, it's a bad deal. For her, like, this is a great deal, right? And so I'm getting, I'm walking back towards my house now, and I'm getting ready to hit send on, like, the, the you know, the text message, and I, and I see movement out of the corner of my eye. And I, and I look up, and there's the dog. And I'm like, thank God, there's the dog. Do you want to know where the dog was? He was in my car. Sitting shotgun it had obviously been for the last hour because at some point when I wasn't looking as the trunk was, you know, as it was coming down, he must have thought, we're going another ride. And so he jumped back in the car while I'm walking in the house. And all I can think is like for the last hour, he's sitting there like, ooh, ooh, ow, ow. And I'm yelling, where are you? And in his mind, he's like, I'm right here. Like, I'm waiting for you, bro. I thought we were going on another ride together. Talk about a bad deal. Like, he's thinking, I'm getting the bad deal right now because I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And you're not, you know, I'm just, oh, oh it's just, I feel, it's kind of, he's, he's, he walks with a twitch now for some reason. I don't know exactly what it is. I, I really am a dog lover. I promise. I promise. I really do take care of him. But, like, sometimes you, you, you get, like, a bad deal a bad deal you ever had a bad deal right right I mean you ever been in a relationship and it was a bad deal right or it was a business deal that went bad right or or you thought the job was going to be great and you're like oh this was a bad deal right or or or, or like your husband all, all the husbands right like like your wife said something to you in the morning like I've got a great idea for what we should do today which by the way for all the men in the room you know that the next statement out of her mouth is not going to be something that you think is great, right? It's, it's, it's not like, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm going to give you like a three-hour massage, and then you're just going to watch sports for the rest of the day. Like, that would be a good deal, right? right? It's usually like, I've got a great idea. We should go to the craft store. And all the men are like, see, that's a bad deal. Like, you know, like, why? Why, why, why would I ever want to do that? I, I, remember, I said to my wife once, I'm like, why do you want me to go to the craft store? And she's like, because I want, like, I want you, I'm, when I hold up options, I want you to give me your opinion. And I'm like, I can do that right now. I don't care. Like, that's like, just, so when you go to the store, hold them up and then say to yourself, Aaron doesn't care which one you get. Like, it didn't work. It didn't work. But like, sometimes you get in a bad deal. Like, and, and it's, in, the, in the Bible, there's this story, right? Turn, turn with me, turn with me, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. And I, I want to read this story to you, because I think, I think this is probably like, like one of the worst deals in the history of mankind right here. I mean, this is, this is worse, much worse than your, than your wife like convincing you to go to the craft store and spending a couple hours at AC Moore, right? right? I, I even know the names of the stores, so you can tell like how much this has been a part of my life, right? But this is, this is a bad deal. This is a bad deal. This is, this is the story of Jacob and Esau. So turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. 
Genesis chapter 25, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your U version on your phone, however you want to get there, with uh, some of the, the words on the screen as well. Genesis chapter 25, Jacob and Esau, little context real quick, Jacob and Esau, twin brothers, right, twin brothers, right, uh, and, and, and their father is Isaac, right? Uh, yeah. And so, so let me just read the narrative to you, and then we're going to kind of work our way through it real quick. <laughs> this is a bad day. Everyone say it's a bad deal. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to pick up in verse number 24. So Genesis 25, verse number 24. Pick up, read along with me. When the time came for her to give birth, this is, this is, a, this is Rebecca. This is the mother. She's the Rebecca. When the time for, came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Yuck. She, like, gave birth to, like, Chewbacca or something. Like, I just, this is bad, right? Talk about a bad deal. She's like, this is a bad deal, right? No good baby pictures, right? So the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, and so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to him. I mean, so, so, so Jacob is feeling like he's got the bad deal from the beginning of this whole, like, you know, like twin brother relationship, right? I mean, he's holding on to his brother's heel as he comes out of the womb, right? So, so obviously he's grasping for something here. And so then, now, now move on with me to verse number 27. The boys grew up, and Esau becomes, he became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country so Esau can skin a buck and he can run a trout line right he's he's a he's a man's man right while while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents so so he's a mama's boy okay so it's, it's all right it's okay some it's okay to be a mama's boy right so that so you can see the difference here between these these two brothers here Isaac who had a taste for wild game loved Esau Becca loved Jacob so there's some uh, dysfunction here in the family, right from the beginning, right? There, there's, there's some, like, there's a bad deal in the family relationship happening here because you got the father who is, whose favorite, his favorite is Esau. You got the mother, her favorite is Jacob. But, but here, let, let's go on. I want to I get into this one part of the text here. Verse number 29. One time, Jacob was cooking some stew, and, and Esau came in from the open country, and he was famished. He said to Jacob, quick, give me some of that red stew. I'm Vanish. This is why they also call him Eben. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Now, let me just stop here right here. Like, have you ever been so hungry that it did not matter what was being cooked? It smelled good. I mean, I mean, just think about it. Like, have you, I mean, you just, you're like, I am famished. This, this is Esau. He's, he's so hungry in this moment that it doesn't matter what's in the bowl at this point that his brother is, is mixing up. He's like, I want it. I want it. When, when I was a kid, I grew up, not, not far from here, actually. I grew up, um, before we moved to Pittsburgh, we lived in this little town called Greencastle, Pennsylvania. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, you know, okay, yeah. So, so my dad was a pastor there at a small little church. And one night, they called our home, and they said, hey, Pastor John, there, there was a, a, a tractor-trailer accident on the side of Route 81, and the, the, the trailer was, was hauling Brussels sprouts. And so they're giving away all of the Brussels sprouts to anyone who wants them. Talk about a bad deal. This was a nightmare in my life. <laughs> my parents, after this night, had an entire freezer full of nothing Brussels sprouts. I'm telling and like I never once in my life smelled my mother cooking Brussels sprouts and thinking, oh, that's going to be good. It's just, this is not good. But, but whatever Jacob is mixing up in the pot here, Esau comes in. He's hungry. He's like, oh, 
I want some of this. I want some of this. And so, so he says, hey, give me some of that. I'm hungry. Give me some of that. And Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. Now, let me give you some context here real quick. So he sells the older brother. Jacob's the younger brother. By mere seconds, but that fact is inconsequential at this point. Esau is the older brother. And in antiquity, the older brother is the one who gets more of the inheritance or what was known as the birthright. Everyone say birthright. In fact, they didn't just get more. It wasn't like 51-49 in the breakdown. It was actually more like two-thirds went to the older brother, and then a third went to the younger brother. Or if there were multiple younger brothers, that third would be split among them. Talk about a bad deal, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, but that's, that, that was just in antiquity, in this culture, in this context. That's how it was. And, and so this is a big deal, and this obviously weighs upon Jacob, the younger brother, just by mere seconds. And so he sees his opportunity to kind of like make a deal. Now, this is what I'm saying. This is why I'm saying this is probably the worst deal known in mankind because, because for a bowl of bean stew, right, Esau is negotiating potentially away his birthright. Two-thirds of the inheritance, the name of his father, the blessing of his father. And listen, this is significant because, because Isaac is loaded. Like Isaac, I mean, I, Isaac is rolling deep. I mean, Isaac's got servants, he's got land, he's got acreage, he's got cattle, he's got sheep. I mean, Isaac has got it going on. And so for Jacob and Esau to even have this discussion goes to show how much of a deceiver Jacob really was and goes to show how famished Esau really was and how sometimes, this is what happens in life, Sometimes you and I allow ourselves to get so confused or so distracted or so hungry for other things in our life that we make bad deals. We give away that which we need the most. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the bowl. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got a bowl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a bowl haircut. No, don't say that. That's bad. You don't, we don't do bowl haircuts anymore, right? You've got a bowl. There's a bowl. There's a bowl in your life. There's something that, that constantly seems to be that thing that tempts you or distracts you or, or that thing that smells so good, that thing that kind of draws you away from, from your birthright in, in this situation. Let me read the rest of the story, and I want to give you a couple practical points here. So, so he says, first, give me your birthright, verse 32. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. Such a drama queen. I mean, Esau goes from being like, like Chewbacca or a.k.a. Bigfoot to being like a total drama queen. He's like, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. And so he swore an oath to him. And he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of bean stew. Verse 34, this is a sad verse. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And Esau ate and drank. And then he got up and he left. And then Esau despised his birthright. So sad. For, for a bowl of, of bean stew, right? So sad, right? Now, now, here's what happens. Here's what the bowl in your life does. Here's how it functions in your life. It's, it's, it's very similar how it functions for, for Esau because Esau, he smells it. He sees it. He's in a compromised place emotionally, right? Because he's hungry, because he's tired, because he's been hunting. And obviously, he wasn't successful in his hunt. If, had he been successful, he probably would have said, I don't, I don't need your bean stew. I just shot a buck, man. I'm good. 
you know? And no. So, so there's been some failure in Esau's life, and there's some frustration. There's some natural hunger. There's probably some emotional things happening that lead Esau to look at the bowl and say, whatever's in that bowl, I need more than what I already possess. By the way, that's exactly how temptation works in your life and my life, by the way, you know? Temptation, when temptation comes to you, what temptation really is doing is temptation is it's putting a bowl in front of you. And temptation, as it speaks to you, it's saying, hey, 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 whatever I got in this bowl is better than what you already possess. So you should try this. You should drink this. You should experiment with this. You should, you should be a part of this group. You should, you should in, endeavor to move forward in this relationship. You should give this a shot. Whatever this is in your life, give this a shot because this will be better than what you than what you already have. Let me give you let me just three real quick practical points to apply to your life because this is what the bowl, the bowl tempts you to make a bad deal. The bowl tempts you to trade in something and it's not a good deal. It's not a good deal. Here, here's number one. The bowl will tempt you to trade in your faith for a feeling. The bowl will tempt you to trade in your faith for a feeling. The bowl, I'm right, say it one more time. They're putting it up on the screen for you. The bowl will tempt you to trade in your faith for a feeling. Now, now listen, Esau, he's the oldest. He got the birthright, right? He's going to carry on the family name, right? He, he's he got the inheritance. He's, he's got all of these things locked away in his life already. But because he has this feeling of need in his life or some questions or some doubts, he's ready to trade away all of his faith, all of the things that he already knows to be true for the sake of a feeling. You and I do this in our lives all the time, especially when it comes to the issue of asking the question, who am I? Or what's my identity? I see, I see teenagers struggle with this all the time. I see young adults struggle with this. I've seen older adults struggle with this, this question of, 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 of who I am. And this is so confusing in our culture today. Let me just teach you here for just a couple minutes. This is so confusing in our culture because the culture in America has whipped up a little recipe for you and I on how you can find your identity. Let me give you the ingredients here real quick. You should probably write these down. This will help some of you because some of you even sitting here today or maybe you're watching online, but some of you are like, man, I wrestle with this. I wrestle with my feelings. I wrestle with my emotions. I, I wrestle with how my feelings and faith work together. I got some questions about identity. I got some questions about who I am and what I'm supposed to be. Now, here's what the world would tell you. And when I say the world, what I, what I mean is, is the message that's out there, the message in social media, the message in our, in our sitcoms, the message in our movies, the message in our, our news channels. That's what I mean when I say the world. This is what the world would tell you. You want to figure out who you are. You want to figure out your identity. Here's the ingredients that you need in your bowl. Ingredient number one, ask yourself this question right here. How do I feel? How do I feel? Your identity is going to be based on your feeling. This is what the world would say. Not what the Bible says. The world would, the world would say this to you. I feel, therefore I am. So whatever you're feeling, you are the sum total of your feeling or your emotion at any given moment. I feel, therefore I am. So how do you feel? What, what, what do your feelings tell you? Right, right? So you feel stuff, and that must be who I am, right? Then ingredient number two, the world would say this to you. What do you like? Or, or, or what are you attracted to? Or who are you attracted to? Because if you're feeling something and you also have some attraction, then those two things must indicate or equate who you are as a person. We've taken this so far. This, this is the reason. I'm going to shoot real straight with you real quick. This is the reason why we have so many questions about gender in today's culture. 
This is the reason why we now have a world that has rejected science that says there's male and there's female. And, and now I just read this week or last week that, that now scientists are trying to suggest that there are over 100 different genders that you can choose from. What's that based on? It's based on this right here. Well, I'm feeling this. Well, I'm attracted to this. And so the world, again, this is not what the Bible says. The world would say to you, hey, if you're attracted to someone of the opposite sex, then you must be heterosexual. But if you're attracted to someone of the same sex, then automatically that equates, that must mean that you are homosexual. And so we, we automatically combine, we, we say attraction and feel, feeling automatically indicate identity. Now you think about how quickly this happens in our culture today. Just a, a, a mere a, a feeling, a momentary attraction, a simple thought that passes through your mind, and all of a sudden we're ready, ready to throw away years of faith or years of biblical understanding all for the sake of something I'm feeling in this moment. This is what I mean when I say the bowl will always tempt you to trade in your faith for your feeling. Ingredient number two says, hey, what are you attracted to? Ingredient number three says this, what are you good at? Like, what are, what are your skills? You know, what are your talents? What are your abilities? Say, so, so you're, a, you're, you're a businessman. You're good at making money. So that must be who you are. You're an athlete. You're good at playing sports. You, you've got athletic talent. That must be you. You're a musician. You must be able to, you, you know, you're, you're good at this. You're good at education. You're good at teaching. Whatever your, your current occupation is, you probably maybe got into that because you're good at it. And so it's really easy then to, to make the assumption, this is who I am. What happens when this is removed from your life? You know, like I, I could say of myself, I could say I'm a public speaker. I'm a communicator. I'm a preacher. That's what I do. What if I lose my voice? What am I then? And you, you see, you, gotta, you have to think through this, but the world says, hey, mix it up. Throw some feelings and emotions in there. Throw some attraction in there. Throw some talent in there. Ingredient number four, where did you come from? Like, what kind of family did you come from? Your family is really going to indicate who you are and what you're going to become. And see, see, this is the person that says, because of the family I'm at, I'm supposed to accomplish this in my life. Or, or more typically, what is said is, because of the family I come from, I know I'm going to accomplish nothing in my life. So I can't do it. My parents, they, they, see, this is the lie we tell ourselves. I know that I'll never have a good marriage because my parents didn't have a good marriage and my grandparents didn't have a good marriage. I know that I'll never be a good parent because my parent wasn't a good parent, so, the, so I'm not going to be able to do it either. And so we tell ourselves these lies of identity, and we say to ourselves, no, 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 it's just the bowl. Like, this is, this is what the world has mixed up for me, and my job is just to look at it and, and, just, and just drink it down. Or let me give you one more ingredient. What have other people said about you? What, what, what did your teacher say? What did your dad say? What did your stepdad or your stepmom or your mom say? What did your grandparents say? What did your coach say about you when you were in high school or college, right? And so we take the words, or I should say the labels that other people have placed on us, and we use those as a way to establish identity in our life. Because deep down inside, every one of us wants to know, I know who I am. I've got an identity. I've figured it out. And there's, and there's this ache inside of our soul, inside of our heart, that longs just to be settled and at peace with identity. Esau's got to be wrestling with this because if Esau was really settled in his identity as the oldest son who was going to be heir to Abraham, Isaac, and then Esau. I mean, think about the heritage that Esau has the opportunity to extend. 
if you know anything about the Bible, especially the Old Testament, think about the legacy that Esau has in front of him, right? He, I mean, he's got inheritance. He's the firstborn son. But something is getting mixed up inside of him. And when all of a sudden, the temptation comes along for Esau to trade in his faith for a mere feeling, he's like, I'll take it. I'll do it. See, that's what the bowl does. That's what the temptation does. The temptation is there for you to trade it all in. Trade it all in. Trade it. Let, me, let me give you another one. Let me give you, I'm going to give you two more real quick. Let me give you another one here. Because the bowl tempts you to trade in your faith for feeling. But then the bowl also tempts you to trade in your calling for what is comfortable. So, so Esau's got a calling. He's got an evident calling. We, we just contextually, when you understand the context of what's happening in this culture during this time in the history of mankind. Esau has a calling. I've already said it. I'll just remind you if you're not tracking with me. Esau is called to be the firstborn. Esau is called to carry on the family name. Esau is called to receive the greatest inheritance so that he can leave a legacy. Abraham, the father of many nations, gives birth to Isaac. Isaac then gives birth to Esau. Most of us in the church world, we don't talk about Esau, do we? We talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Esau sold the birthright. Esau sold calling. He looked at the calling, and he said, oh, I'd rather have what's in that bowl. I'd rather have what's comfortable. I'd rather have what's easy. I'd rather, I'd rather have what's convenient. How, how many of you like, you like comfort? I like comfort. I do. I mean, I do. I, you know, when I travel, I, I bring my own pillow with me. I like comfort, right? I, I, I like to eat my own little diet, my own little food, right? I have these little smoothies I drink in the morning. I got, I got a little blender that I travel with and mix it all up in the morning, you know? I'm like wake people up in the hotel at like 6 in the morning. You're like, you know, like, what is that, you know? I, I like comfort. I do. But, but I would venture to say that for you, it's the same as it is for me. That the number one enemy, oftentimes, of me fulfilling calling in my life is my desire for comfort in my life. Because there's nothing comfortable about fulfilling the call of God on your life. It's just not. In fact, even if you don't, even if you sit here today and you're like, I don't really know that I have a call of God on my life. I convince you that you do, biblically, that, that every one of us have a calling on our lives, right? But, but let's just say, let's, let's, just, let's use a different word. You've got a dream for your life. You've got some goals for your life. You've got some ambitions for life. You've, you've got a desire. If you're a young person in the room, you've got a desire. Hey, I want to I get a job. I want to make a living. Or I want to get married. I want to have a family. Or I want to go to college. And I want to get a degree. Right? So you've got some goals. You've got some ambitions for all of you adults. You're not, you've got some goals, dreams, ambitions. Right? It's never comfortable to fulfill those things, is it? Is it? Like, like all of you successful business owners in the room, was it easy? No. It's never easy. All of you parents that have successfully raised kids, which, by the way, just means that they're still alive. That's all that that's, and the bar's kind of low. Okay, right? But, like, was it easy to raise those kids? No, it wasn't easy. It's never easy. Look at your neighbor and say it's never easy. But the, the thing that gets in the way is our desire for comfort. In fact, I'll, I'll say it like this. I think for the American church today, comfort has become the drug of choice. I, I, mean, I can resist a whole bunch of other temptations in life that might get in the way. If you were here last night, we, we, talked, about, we talked about trimming down. We talked about, about getting rid of the things that hinder us from running our race as effectively as possible. But see, that, that's a battle against comfort. And so that, that's you and I looking at life and saying, man, man, there's some things that I would rather have. There's some things that are more comfortable, but I don't want this. I mean, all, everything in American culture is about creating comfort for ourselves. 
you think about it. We want our food fast. We want fame overnight. We want 30 pounds off in 30 days. Jesus, can we just have that one? Like, just one, please. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We, 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 we'd rather have a handout than hard work. We'd, we'd rather have a cheat sheet than a study guide. Right? In, in some cases, this is true, but in some cases, we'd rather have welfare than a job. I mean, it's just comfort. I want comfort. I want things to be easy. I want to accomplish my dreams and my goals and my calling and my destiny, but can I get it at a discount? I got a newsflash for you, right? The promises are never, the promises of God are never fulfilled in your life without you going through the processes of God. But that's what we want. I want God's promises, but I don't want to have to go through the process in order to receive the promise. I want destiny in my life, but I want it sold to me at a discount. Newsflash, friend, it's never easy. Calling is never comfortable. Destiny never comes at a discount. You never live a life of vision and you get it on sale. You know why? Because that's not how Jesus acquired you and I into sonship and daughtership. Jesus, he stretched his arm on a cross and he paid the ultimate price to provide the gift of salvation for you and I. It came at a price. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. It was a difficult sacrifice that he made. And if it was that way for him, it's not going to be any different for you. Jesus didn't find you in a bargain bin basement somewhere. He didn't find you on a blue light special. He didn't find you at a flea market where someone was trying to get rid of you. He paid the ultimate price for you and I. My my dad used to always say to me, my dad's a retired pastor now. He pastored for about 45 years. But my dad used to always say to me this, this statement. He would say, he would say, he would say, son, there's no growth in the comfort zone. But there's no comfort in the growth zone. And every time he would say that, I'd be like, I don't, just stop it. I don't even want to hear that. Listen. Because no, no one likes that, right? But he would say, though, he would say there's no growth in the comfort zone. But there's no comfort in the growth zone. Calling will cost you something. Calling will cost you having to resist the bull. Calling will cost you to have to resist the temptation. Calling will cost you to have to say no to some things in your life that might be really comfortable, but you know they stand in stark contrast to what God has called you to do. Esau wasn't willing to do it. So he traded it in. Here's the last one, number three. He says, you know, the first one was that the bull tempts you to trade your faith for a feeling. The second one, the bull tempts you to trade your calling for your comfort. Here's the last one. The bull tempts you to trade your future for your present. The bull tempts you to trade your future for what is present. Or, or, or let me say it like this. I want to make sure that it makes sense. Understand. The bull will, will tempt you to trade what you want most for what you want now. He said, what, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? Okay, Listen. There's something in your life that you want most. If you're young in the room and you're single, let me talk to you just for a second. There's something that you probably want most. I don't know exactly what it is for you. It might be a degree. Uh, it, it, might be, it might be launching your own business. It, it might be having some sort of sustainable financial life where you can you know, actually live on your own. But for many of you in the room, if you're a single young adult or you're an older teenager, one of the things that you want most in your life is probably to find another person, to, to have a relationship, to have a marriage. And I'm just going to guess. I'm going to take a wild guess because this is, this is typically true. I travel all around the nation. I spoke at youth camps all summer long, and almost every student answers the same way when I ask this question. If I say to them, do you want to have a marriage that is as good or better than your parents' marriage, almost every single student or young adult I ask that question to says yes. So that's something you want most, correct? You following me? Everyone say I'm following you. 
right? Even, even for some of you adults in the room that are currently married, if you look at your upbringing, you look at your childhood, you look at your family situation, you would agree for yourself. You'd say, yeah, I want that most. I want to have a better marriage or I want to have a better family than what I was raised in. That's what you want most. But the bowl comes along and tempts you to give up what you want most for what you want now. You see it? You see it? Esau comes along. What what does he want most? Well, he probably wants his birthright. He probably wants his inheritance. But what he wants now is some some soup, some, some red bean stew. I'm like, Esau, it's beans. It's, it's just soup. It's not even Campbell's Chunky. Okay, I can understand if it was Campbell's Chunky, then maybe it's worth it. I don't know, but like, it's just beans, dude. It's just, come on. That's what he wants now. But see, what you want now in your life often will stand in stark contrast to what you actually want most. But it's what's now in your life that ultimately will destroy what you want most, or it's what you do now that will set you up to accomplish what you want most. You, you, you know why this, this spiritual truth is true for every single one of us? Because the devil's not playing checkers with you. He's playing chess. And he knows if he can make a strategic move. Let me, let me speak to all of you young people in the room, all of you, all of you young adults in the room, right? right? He knows he can strategically make the right moves to bring the right bowl into your life or to bring the right temptation into your life. He knows if he can just make the right move, then checkmate, he's got you, and he's, he's, he put you in a situation where you will willingly give up and sacrifice what you want most for something that your flesh or your emotions are screaming that you need now. I, I'm, I'm, I know you're quiet because this is a hard truth. It's, it's just because so many of us in life can look at our current life, or we can even look at decisions that we've made in the past, and we can say, oh, I've done that. I've done that. I've, I've, I've given up stuff in my future because I've made some decisions in the present that affected it. I've given up most in life. I wanted, I wanted to be debt-free. But I'm, but, I'm, but I'm swimming in debt because of the decisions that I've made now, because I wanted something now, right? I, I, I want most to be the first person in my family to get a college degree, but I made a bunch of decisions in the present that affected what I wanted most. I gave up what I wanted most for what I wanted now. I, I wanted to have a great marriage. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have an incredible family, but I made some really really dumb decisions based on emotion and based on attraction and based on my hormones, things that I did in the moment that affected what I wanted most. I gave up what I wanted most for what I wanted now. And see, look what happened to Esau. Go back to the text. Look what happened to Esau. He, he said, he, it, it says this. He says, Esau despised his birthright. Come on, band. Why don't you come and join me? We're going we're gonna to spend a couple minutes praying together. I, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you, you're kind of, at this moment, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, it's all good, preacher, but I don't really have a birthright. I don't even know what that is. So while your sermon, while relatively entertaining, is not entirely applicable to my life. <gasps> but you do have a birthright. You do. You, you just might not have realized it. Maybe no one taught you. 
But you, but you do. The Bible, the Bible makes it really clear that you, you have a birthright. The, the, the Bible says that, that Jesus has come, and because Jesus came, he provided some things to you in the form of a birthright. That means that you have a right to certain things because you are born into the kingdom of God as a son and daughter. That's what that, that's what that means in our day and age. It's, it's, it's understood differently in the New Testament era that you and I are living in versus the Old Testament era. In the Old Testament era, it was about, it was about nickels and noses. It was about numbers. It was about facts. It was about your birthright, and you're going to get the family name, and you're going to get this much of the inheritance, and boom, you go. But see, now it's a spiritual inheritance for you and I. So Jesus did provide a birthright for you. See, the, the Jesus said this. Jesus said, peace I leave you, peace I give you. That means that you can have the birthright of peace in your life, or you can have a bowl of anxiety. Which one do you want? Right? The, the Bible says that we, you and I have the birthright of joy. Joy unspeakable and full of the Holy Ghost. Right? So that means that you can have joy in your life, or you can have a, a bowl of like Campbell's grumbling, mumbling, always mad about something soup. Right? You can. Right? The, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that you and I overcome in life because of the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb, that's a reference to Jesus and the blood he's shown on the cross. So you can have a testimony in your life, or you can have a life in a bowl full of nothing but trial after trial after trial. You do have a birthright. You have a birthright that was purchased for you when Jesus died on the cross, and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. That's a birthright. It's amazing for me is Esau, he was so blinded by his emotion in the moment that he couldn't see clearly that he was, he was trading it in. He was trading in faith for feeling. He was trading in calling for comfort. He was trading in what he wanted most in his life for what he wanted now. And you know what, what's, what's crazy? You know, last night we, I, I preached to you, if you were here last night, I preached to you from Romans chapter 12 last night. I mean, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. But, but we only read the first couple of verses. But if, if you were to read on in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and you get down to verse 14. Now, this, this is amazing. This is amazing because the author of Hebrews in verse 14, he says this. He says, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Verse 16, just listen, because I know it's not on the screen. Listen. Verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal, for a bowl, he sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And verse 17, and afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. It's a direct reference to later in life when Isaac was getting ready to pass away. He gave the blessing to Jacob, but Esau came and he begged his father and he said, please, father, please, father, there has to be a blessing for me. And his father said, there's none for you. I've already given it away. Last part of the verse here, he says this. He was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind. He's referring to Jacob's mind. He sought the blessing with tears. Now, now think about this for a second. The writer of Hebrews, he's writing, he's writing, he's writing. He's just got done in chapter 11 writing about the hall of faith, the hall of fame, right? All the people who did incredible things. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, like we talked about last night, he's talking about running your race and go, 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 go. And then later in chapter 12, he's saying, don't, don't be godless. Don't live a godless life like, now just imagine, imagine the writer there. He's just like, like who's, 
who's a good example of godlessness? Like, 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 like who's somebody that people would know if I put name down, they'd be like, oh, that dude, <laughs> that dude was godless. Like who, he's, th- he's sitting there thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking, all of a sudden he's like, ah, oh, Esau, Esau, he was godless because he sold his birthright for a bowl. And then even when Esau came back to his father and he begged for forgiveness and he begged for mercy, there was none. You know, it's kind of a sad story, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean it really is. I mean, I mean it, even, even this whole sermon up until this point, it's kind of sad if we're going to be honest about it. Because because the story of Esau really ends with Esau losing. The story of Esau ends with Esau, he, because he traded in his birthright, he never got it back. You could, you could be sitting here right now in the room. You could be watching online thinking to yourself, so preacher, I guess you're saying there's no hope for me because I'm, I'm middle-aged. I've already made my bad decisions. I've already traded in my birthright for a bowl. I've already messed up. So, so I guess you're basically saying I'm godless and I'm like Esau. And it doesn't sound like the story of Esau ends very well. But friend, listen, listen, that's, that's Old Testament. Because in the New Testament, there's another story of another two sons, right? And in Luke chapter 15, there's a story of the prodigal son, and there's the older brother, and there's the younger brother. And the younger brother trades in his birthright. He goes to his father. He says, give me everything. He goes out, and he wastes it all on booze and wild living and and women. And then when he comes back to his father, his father does what? His father accepts him back. His father puts the ring back on his finger. His father reclothes him with with one of the cloaks, and he gives them this symbol of authority through the ring of the family. He gives them everything back that he had forsaken. Why? Because in the New Testament, you and I are introduced to the one who provided the birthright. Yet again, another firstborn son named Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came, and when Jesus died on a cross for you and I, it was in that moment that Jesus provided a birthright that could not just be given to you in your present and in your future, but could also go back into your past and my past and erase the debt of sin in our life. Erase the bad deals in our life. Erase the moments where we squandered away the birthright. You do have a birthright. You have a birthright given to you as a son and daughter of God. You have an inheritance given to you. The Bible speaks of it over and over and over again. An inheritance provided to you and I through the firstborn son, Jesus Christ and only Jesus. See, what's my encouragement to you? Don't be an Esau. Esau was the firstborn. You, 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 know that, you know that all throughout the Bible, they refer to, through this statement, is read all throughout the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it should have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's what it should have been. But for the fact that Esau had squandered his birthright. Now listen to me real quick. Maybe you're here in the room today. Maybe you're watching online. And you, be, you realize you're drinking from the wrong bowl. You're trading in faith for feeling. You're trading in calling for comfort. You're trading in your future for your present. You're drinking from the wrong bowl. I got a news, for, news flash for you, friend. That's why you're not satisfied. That's why you don't have peace in your life. That's why your life is full of anxiety. 
That's why you're always upset. That's why you got no joy. That's why you got no contentment. Because you've traded in your birthright. You're drinking from the wrong bowl. You, you know what? You know what you and I do in, in this world oftentimes? We search horizontally for people, places, and things to fulfill us when it can only ever really be found vertically. We, we, much of the pain that you've experienced in your life is because you expected another person to provide for your needs. You expected a place. You expected a position. You expected a paycheck. You expected a relationship. You expected all of these horizontal realities in your life to fulfill the needs in your life. But the answer is only found vertically. It's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's only found when he restores your birthright. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. All across this room, would you stand to your feet right now? Those of you that are on the prayer team here of the church, if you would just make your way forward in this moment, position yourself wherever you need to be in the room in order to pray for people. But as we bring this, this first service of Sunday morning, epic weekend to a close, every head bowed, every eye closed, those of you that are in the room here today, you're standing to your feet, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I want to give an invitation right now, I want to give an opportunity right now for prayer, I want to give an opportunity for some of you, some of you, maybe some of you are in the room, you, you need to receive a birthright for the very first time, you need to receive that birthright in the form of salvation. Maybe even as I say that word, you're saying to yourself, what is salvation? I don't know what that word is. Salvation just means that the gift, the gift of being saved that Jesus provided on the cross. Salvation understood means that you believe that Jesus was God. Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. That's the core basic understanding of the gospel of salvation. So maybe for some of you that are in the room here today, you, you would just honestly, in, in even in the silence of your heart at this moment, you would say, you know what, Pastor Aaron, I'm not saved. I've never experienced or received the gift of salvation. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. I want to encourage you if that's you and you say, man, I, I, need, I need Jesus today. I need to be saved. I need to receive this birthright you're talking about. On the count of three, you can come forward and one of these people across the front will pray with you. Maybe you're here in the room today and you say, Pastor Aaron, I've traded in my birthright. I've, 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 I've been drinking from the bowl. I've been trading in my, my, my future for my present. I've been trading in my calling for comfort. I've been trading in my faith for feeling. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Pastor Aaron, for my entire life, I've struggled and wrestled with identity. I don't know who I am and I've tried to figure it out, but today want someone to pray with you so that you can understand that Jesus Christ is your identity. Jesus Christ is your truth. Jesus Christ is who you are. He's the one who purchased and bought your birthright. So every head is bowed, every eye is prayed. Let me, close. Let me pray for you real quick. Jesus, I pray for every man, woman, every boy, girl, every teenager, every young adult in this place. God, I pray in the name of Jesus over these next couple minutes. God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would descend upon hearts and lives in this moment. For those that are far from you, I pray that they take steps forward to grow close to you in this moment. For those that are lost and wandering and are trading in moments in their life for a bowl of stew, for a bowl of temptation, those that are trading in their birthright, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that in these next couple moments, as someone prays with them, as someone lays hands on them, that they'll find themselves being restored. They'll find themselves receiving hope. They'll find themselves receiving peace. They'll find themselves receiving joy in the Holy Ghost. God, do what I pray in the name of Jesus. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm going to count to three. 
You're here and you need Jesus. You need salvation. You're here and you need someone to pray with you because you've lost your way and you've been drinking from all the wrong bowls. On the count of three, I want you to big bold step, a step of faith. I want you to walk forward and have one of these prayer team members pray for you. One, two, three. Come on right now. Come on right now. Come on right now. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Come on right now. You need Jesus. You need salvation. You need someone to pray with you. Come on. I know there's some more. Come on. Thank you for coming. Come on. Walk right on up here. Walk walk right on up here. Anyone else? Anyone else? You say, I need Jesus. I need my birthright restored to me. I've been drinking. Come on. Come on. Any young adults, any teenagers in the room, anyone. You say, I need prayer this morning. I need someone. I need someone to help me. I need someone to pray with me. I need to know that someone's here. Come on. You know, I'm going to count to three again, just because I want to make it as simple and as easy as possible for you to come. But you say, man, I need this. Some of you right now, you're resisting. You're resisting, but I'm, I'm going to make it easy for you as possible. On the count of three, you just come in this moment. You say, man, I, I, know, I know I needed to be there. One, two, three. Come on, right now. Take that first step. Come on, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Come on, right now. Take that first step. You say, I know it's me. I know it's me. I know you're preaching to me. I know you're preaching to me. Come on. Yep, 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 yep. Yep. Come on, Pastor Ann, sing this song with us real quick. Pastor Candace will come in just a moment. He'll give you instructions for the close of this service. We're going to take a moment. You keep on your feet. You stay standing. Worship along with Pastor Aaron and the team. The prayer team is going to minister here to these in the front.
restoration and freedom in just 28 minutes. At 11.15, we're going to be right back here preaching the word all over again. Pastor Aaron has another unique message for us. So stick around, get a cup of coffee, go to the bathroom, say hi to the kids, and then come right back here at 11.15. And 6 o'clock tonight is heart and soul. Come back for that as well. 